December 17th, 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright are at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They've been working on a homemade airplane. And on that day, that, that plane takes off. Stays in the air, sustained flight, 59 seconds, 852 feet. They are excited. The plane comes down. They rush a telegram to their sister in Dayton, Ohio. The telegram reads, First sustained flight today, 59 seconds. Hope to be home for Christmas. Her, their sister gets so excited, she rushes to the newspaper in town, and she hands the telegram that she had just received from, from her brothers to the newspaper editor. And the next day, the newspaper headline in Dayton, Ohio reads, Popular local bicycle merchants to be home for the holidays. <laughs> he just missed it. The editor botched the scoop of the century. He missed the point. I don't think he's alone in doing that. All of us miss the point at some points, at some times. There's a vast number of people on this planet who miss the point about Jesus. We've been working through the gospel, uh, the, the book of Acts, for the last, I don't know how many weeks, 26 weeks now. And the, the last six chapters leading into today's passage deal with Paul being uh, arrested. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. Uh, all kinds of things happen. Riots, murder plots, charges, defenses, trials, all that's going on. And in the midst of that, twice Luke tells us Paul's conversion story. It's the third time in the book of Acts as a whole. But all this detail revolving around all these charges and riots and all that kind of stuff. And in all that going on, we can miss the point. What is Luke doing here? Why does he keep talking about this kind of stuff? Why, why is that? He's got limited space. He spends six chapters talking about stuff that he keeps repeating. I think this is the lead that Luke wants us to get. Dead man named Jesus rises from the dead. Varying responses to his resurrection. So I want to focus today on these responses, these differing responses to Jesus' resurrection. How did the key characters in our passage for today react, respond to the claim that Jesus rose from the dead? How did Paul respond? How did Festus, how did Agrippa respond? Why did they respond the way they did? And as we reflect together over these responses, I'd like to ask you to be thinking about what your response to the resurrection is as well. What's your response to the claim that a dead man named Jesus rose from the dead? So here's the background to our text. Today we're going to be in chapters 25 and 26 of Acts, but here's the background. Paul decides to go to Jerusalem. He, he tells us about it beginning in, in chapter 20 of Acts, and now we're in chapter 25. He's go, he, goes, he wants to go to Jerusalem. He wants to go there because he wants to bring an offering to help the struggling church in Jerusalem. They've had famines. They're struggling with poverty, lots of issues. And he wants to bring an offering from the Gentile churches to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. 
And he wants to go to worship there, and he wants to give an update what, what's been going on through his ministry. He's got a lot of reasons he wants to go. But the key reason is he wants to be a blessing to them. But he's been warned. He's been warned by the Holy Spirit that if he goes to Jerusalem, trouble and hardship and prison await him. Something's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he knows that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be in prison. But he goes anyway because he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20 tells us he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to go regardless of the danger. So he, he, he goes, and it happens just as, he, he was, just as it was prophesied that it would go. He gets there. Um, people are offended by him being there. Some, some Jewish uh, folks are offended by the fact that he's there. They, they, they uh, raise up this mob. The mob surrounds Paul. They're about to rip him to shreds. If it hadn't been for the intervention of a Roman commander, they would have torn him apart. So here he is. He's in the hands of a Roman commander now. He's put in prison. They're trying to figure out what to do with him. The Jews are raising these charges against him. He's, he's blasphemous. He's, trying to, he's a troublemaker. He's against Rome. He's against the temple. He's against the Jewish law. Everybody hates him. He just causes trouble everywhere he goes. And Paul says, none of that's true. Come on. So it goes back and forth, and, and along the way, there's a murder plot against them, and then another murder plot against them. The end result is, by the time we get to our text, he's been in prison for two years. He's been in prison for two years uh, without uh, formal charges being presented against him, and, not, and none of those charges actually being proven that were presented. He's just languishing in prison. A new governor comes, into, in, comes in town, a guy named Festus, Governor Festus. And when he gets into town, the first thing that happens is the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, the Jewish leaders, come to him and say, hey, you've got this guy Paul in one of your prisons. And uh, he deserves death. Why don't you kill him? And Festus, wait a minute. What's the charge? And so they go back and forth. And Festus eventually decides, you know, these charges, there's no real proof of them. And this guy, Paul, is a Roman citizen, and I can't kill him. I can't even keep him in prison if, uh, if we can't substantiate these charges. But if I let him go, I'm going to tick off the, the Jewish le- leaders, and I need them to be on my side. So he's between a rock and a hard place. He wants to appease. He wants to win the approval of the Jewish leaders so that they'll be easier to govern. On the other hand, if he kills a Roman citizen... Without charges, you know, he's in trouble with Rome. So he's between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't know what to do. So he presents, so he's trying to figure out how to stall this thing and, and kind of evade it. And then King Agrippa and his sister Bernice come into town and Festus says, so yeah, I'll just push it on to them, which is exactly what he does. And uh, so he says, I got this guy in prison. This is the deal. Uh, I don't know what to do. What do you think? And Agrippa says, Okay, I'll talk to him. I want to, I want to hear what he has to say. That's where I want to pick up our text. So turn with me, if you will, to chapter 26 of Acts. I'm going to go back and forth between 26 and 25, just to let you know. And there is a kind of an outline in a bulletin if you want to use that. But chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his offense, his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. 
And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now, it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished as I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. What's going on here? Paul is saying 
to to King Agrippa and to all the people who gathered there. And he's saying to us that this is what happened to me. Here's, Here's who I was. This is my background. All you Jews know this. You know this. You've observed it. You know that this is true. This is who I was. I lived as a Pharisee. I was the strictest of the strict. I was the strictest of the strict. And this is what I did. I was convinced that Jesus was a blasphemer and a heretic and all who followed him were heretics. I was convinced that they were wrong and they deserved to die and I did everything I could to stop this Jesus movement and to make sure that they all died. They were a stench on the earth as far as I was concerned. And then one day I was going to Damascus to hunt down some more of these Jesus followers. And on the road about noon, I saw this light and it just blazed around me and knocked me off my feet. And I heard a voice and the voice said, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And I had no idea who that was. So I said, well, who are you, Lord? And I heard the voice say, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus. You thought I was dead, but I'm not dead. I'm alive. You thought I was a heretic and a blasphemer. And Saul, you were wrong. I'm not a heretic or a blasphemer. I am the Messiah of God, the long-promised Messiah of God whom you claim to believe is coming. I heard him say, Saul, get up. You used to persecute me. You, You persecute my people. But I have a calling upon your life. I'm going to send you to be a servant and a witness to all you have seen and will see. I have a message that I want you to tell. I want you to call people and tell them to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. I want you to tell them there is forgiveness available for them. And by them, I don't just mean Jews, Saul. I mean Gentiles, too. Because I am the king sent by God and I am the savior of the world. So Saul, who's now called Paul, is telling the story to King Agrippa and he says, I had this vision of the resurrected Jesus. I encountered the resurrected Jesus on that road and I was not disobedient to the vision. Starting in Damascus and then in Jerusalem, Judea, and even out to all the Gentiles. I've been faithful to the vision. I obeyed the vision. I did what Jesus told me to do. And it's because I believe what Jesus said and it's because I did what Jesus told me to do that I'm standing here now. It's be- I'm here because I believe In the hope of the resurrection, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe Jesus rose from the dead, Paul says to Agrippa. 
Now, at another section of scripture, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that what effectively he's saying is that the resurrection is the crux point of the message of the gospel. If you don't believe the resurrection, or I should say, if the resurrection didn't happen, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then Christians ought to be the most pitied people on the earth because we've based our life on a lie and we've said that this is from God and we've borne false witness to God and he makes this case about, you know, we're really in trouble if this resurrection didn't happen. But then he said, but of course, it did happen. It did happen. And it's the biggest thing that happened in the universe, in the history of humankind. Now, earlier, I'm flipping to chapter 25 now of Acts. The Jewish leaders come to Festus and they say, we want you to kill this guy. And Festus is trying to figure out what's going on because he doesn't, he, he doesn't want to make a mistake. He's, he's terrified of making a mistake. And he doesn't know what to do. So he, as I mentioned earlier, King Agrippa and Bernice come into town and uh, Festus brings the case to them. And this is what he says. So now I'm in chapter 25 and I'm picking up in verse 17. So this is Festus talking to King Agrippa. He says, when they came here, meaning the Jewish leaders, when the Jewish leaders came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him uh, about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was a lost how to investigate such matters. And he kind of continues from there. But Paul is saying that the resurrection is the most important thing in the universe. He said that to Festus earlier when he made his defense in chapter 25. And he said it before that in earlier chapters of Acts. We've seen that as we've gone along. Festus missed the lead. What is he saying here in those verses I just read? First thing he's saying is, you know, they, they brought the case to me, and I thought it was going to be about something important. You know, some, some important matter of law. But instead, it was some dispute they had about some matter of religion. And the word that he uses there, that Luke uses here, is, uh, is a Greek word, desidemonia. It's two, actually two words. Uh, it can be translated as superstition. What it means literally is fear of some god or some demon. It's, uh, it has a sense of, you know, it's fear. It's, it's not based on logic or reason. It's just based on emotion and ultimately superstition. So Festus is saying to Agrippa, they, were, they had some kind of superstitious thing going on. And, uh, you know, they were arguing about superstition. And it, and it was just a matter of personal opinion. This guy, Paul, said one thing, they said another thing. They were just arguing back and forth about their personal opinions, about superstition. You know, something bizarre. I had no idea what to do. This is, this, this is just small stuff. I had no idea what to do with it, but I had to deal with it. And then he said, and it was about this, uh, you know, Paul said it was about this guy named Jesus, who Paul claimed was, you know, he was dead. 
And there's nothing in the text that indicates that, that Festus, hmm, interesting assertion. Paul thinks that the dead guy is alive. I wonder what that means. It's like it just blew over him, still in a realm of superstition. I think Festus is a whole lot like our culture. There's so many people in our culture today who have heard something about Jesus. They know that there's something called Easter. They have this vague idea that Easter is about, you know, Easter eggs and the Easter bunny. And oh yeah, about some superstition about a guy rising from the dead. Right? But they haven't, it hasn't even occurred to so many people in our culture to actually wrestle with that concept. What would it mean if a guy actually rose from the dead? Who would, who, what would such a person be? What does that mean? Our culture doesn't think about that very often. For too many people in our culture, the Christian faith is a matter of differing opinions. One opinion is just as good as another. Differing opinions about a superstition, which you say one opinion is as good as another about something that never happened. Right? And the idea of a dead man rising, I'm like, come on, get real. Dead men don't rise. And the fact of the matter is, that's true. Dead men don't rise. So, if a dead man rose, that would actually mean something huge. And that's what Paul is trying to say. A dead man rose from the dead. And I say this because I actually saw him and talked to him. I had an encounter with him. And, and Paul, to, to Agrippa, gives this long story, right? About what happened to him. Why does he do that? Well, there are two reasons, I think. One reason is because he's trying to make the case that what has happened isn't this sort of huge departure, a different religion. It's actually what the Jews have claimed to believe for generations. It just happens to have been fulfilled in a way they weren't expecting. So he's claiming that his faith, his hope in a resurrection, his faith in a resurrection, his claim that Jesus rose from the dead is in continuity with the whole scripture, all the law and the prophets. Okay? That's big. But the other reason I think he's saying this is because he's trying to say, what do you think happened to me? You guys know me. You know that I was raised from my birth, basically, in the Jewish faith, and I was faithful to it. In fact, I was Strictest of the strict, the Pharisees. I was zealous. I was committed to fulfilling the Jewish law. And I had my radar radar up against any kind of heresy. And just like you guys, you Jews, I thought this Jesus was a blasphemer, a heretic who deserved to die. I was with you. I was doing exactly what you're trying to do to me. I was doing that. I was responsible for the death of many Christians, many followers of this man, Jesus. But I'm not doing that anymore. Why? Because I met him. 
Why do you think I'm no longer doing that? How do you account for the fact that I am a different person with a message that this Jesus really is alive? How do you account for that? How do you account for the fact that even though you've been torturing these Christians, they don't recant, they don't disavow their faith, they're holding firm. Where does that come from? Isn't that a proof that there's something real to this? And you notice in the text, I'm going to go back to chapter 26 now. Something happens. Paul is telling this whole story to Agrippa, holding up his own life, the change in his own life, as proof of the resurrection of Jesus. There are lots of other proofs as well, but in this case, he's he's giving his own life as a proof. He's saying, I am an eyewitness to this. While he's talking with King Agrippa, all of a sudden, Festus just erupts. He interrupts Paul and he just shouts out. And here's another, you know, you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to to understand the scriptures because we have really good translations. But sometimes knowing a little bit of Greek uh, gives you a nuance. The the Greek text says that he he erupted with a very loud voice. The the Greek text word is megalipiphoni which is where we get our word megaphone. It's like Festus has a megaphone in front of him and he just shouts, stop. Paul, your great learning has made you insane. Stop. Earlier, for Festus, this was just, you know, people's opinions about a superstition that didn't matter for anything. But as he's listening to Paul tell his story, it seems like something kind of grabs his heart. He starts to feel what we would say is the conviction of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is at work in him, and, and it sort of sinks in that, wait a minute, if what Paul says is true, this is huge. And if it's true, then I'm in trouble because I don't want it to be true. Festus gets terrified because he hears something and deep down inside he knows it's true and he doesn't want to deal with it. So he says, Paul, stop, you're just crazy. I'm crazy for even talking to you, stop. There are some people in our culture who respond to the message of the resurrection that way too. They believe, but they don't want to believe. And it drives them crazy. It makes them irrational and angry and hostile. Maybe you have friends who have reacted kind of angrily when you have talked to them about Jesus and about how Jesus has impacted your life, that he's not just some dead religious figure, but he's alive and at work in your own life. Maybe you've had some friends get angry. If they're getting angry, maybe it means that it's actually starting to sink in a little bit, and it's scaring them, because it is the biggest message of the world, not to be taken lightly. I've had 
you know, when I, in my journey of faith, I got to a point where I started thinking, maybe this is really true. And I got terrified. And I put the skids on. And for months, I just didn't want to deal with Jesus in any way. And then slowly, it started to dawn on me that, yes, it is true, and it is huge, but it's huge for my good. And anything that I was holding on to, my pride, my ambition, my goals for my life, all of that was, all of that was just small compared to what Jesus was calling me to be and to do. That Jesus was offering me life. He wasn't trying to put me in a box. It was my own pride and ambition that kept me in a box. And if I was willing to, willing to let go of my box, the whole world would open up to me. And my heart would expand, and I'd learn how to love, and I'd learn how to forgive, and I'd learn how to be generous, and I'd learn how to accept myself, my own weaknesses and fallibilities and finitude. That if I, if I just let go of my box, let, let go of my small vision for my life, that I'd have a global vision and an eternal vision. It took me months to figure that out. Maybe some of your friends are in that stage right now. Pray like crazy for them, but don't let them off the hook. Festus says, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And Paul says, Festus, I'm not insane. I'm not insane. And if they were, you know, kind of an amplified, kind of extended version of this, I think in Paul's mind he'd be saying, if the resurrection is true, then I'm the sanest person in this room. And if the resurrection is true, and you don't buy into it, you don't commit to it, you don't embrace it, then you're the one insane, Festus. Because if it's true, it's a life changer. It is a life changer. It's a world changer. You can't be, the, you can't be one way and then come to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and say that same way you were. You just can't. It changes your life. It changed Paul's life. So then he turns to Agrippa and says, Agrippa, you know it's true. Verse 26, chapter 26. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? A short time or long, I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Festus panics. He feels threatened. Agrippa does too. Both of them figure out different ways to stall. Festus just gets angry and erupts. King Agrippa kind of tells a joke. But 
both of them are stalling. Because if they wrestle with this, if they look at it fairly, and if they embrace it, they know it will change their life. Interesting, earlier in the, the chapter, chapter 25, it says that King Agrippa and Bernice and military officers and so forth, they all came into the room where the, the trial, the inquiry was going to take place. And Luke, the, 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 the text says that they came in with all their pomp. Pomp's another interesting Greek word. The, the word in Greek is fantasia, fantasy. Agrippa was willing to hold on to his fantasy about being high and mighty and important, people bowing down to him. So he was willing to hold on to that instead of holding on, grabbing hold of the truth. His fantasy life was more important to him than the reality, the truth of life. I think there's a whole bunch of people in our, our culture like that too. And I've had long stretches of my life like that. Paul says, I was not disobedient to the vision. Festus says, I don't want any part of this vision. Agrippa says, yeah, me too. Too scary. What about you and me? What do we say? What do you say? What will you do with this vision of the resurrected Jesus, with this assertion of the resurrected Jesus with this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Dead man named Jesus rises from the dead. Varying responses to his resurrection. What is your response? Will you evade it? Ignore it? Have excuses against it? Will you embrace it and obey it, live it out? Will you allow it to shape your life fully? We're about to enter into a celebration of communion together, Holy Communion, where we celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we prepare for communion... I'd like you to be thinking in your own head, what will I do with the resurrection of Jesus? Maybe you haven't got to the point where you believe that the resurrection actually happened. But you've heard, if you will, an exhortation today that it did in fact happen and that it's used. What will you do with that? Will you at the very least take the next step and keep investigating and not just put it off for later? Because it's one of those claims that if it's true, you can't put it off. Maybe you do believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But you've treated it like it's a small thing. You don't think about it very much. You don't allow it to really shape your life, to free you to live your life boldly and generously and sacrificially with love and compassion and forgiveness. Your life isn't all that much different, even though you claim to believe in the resurrection. Maybe you do believe in the resurrection and you've been trying to live out the implications of that, but it's been hard. You've been struggling. Take comfort today. What the resurrection means is not only Jesus was raised from the dead, but you'll be raised from the dead. And what you do in this life matters. 
but it's not the whole of life. You've got this whole future, eternal future awaiting you. And so it's, it's worth it to struggle and to sacrifice and to love and to give grace in a here and now. Let me pray for us and then we'll move into our uh, preparation for communion. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us enough to send your son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. You took on human flesh. You lived the life that we live, but without sin. And you died the death that you did not deserve. You died it on our behalf. You gave your life on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead and the promise is that you will take us with you, that you will fill us with your life in the here and now so that your life courses through our veins and that one day we will stand before you in eternity. Lord, even now, in the next couple minutes, I ask that you would help each one of us to get a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus and to understand what it means that you rose from the dead to understand what it means for the way we live our lives right now. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to trust you, to not be afraid, to turn to you, to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. I pray that you'd help us to release our sins and our fears and our failures to you to receive your grace. I pray, Lord, that you give us fresh courage and fresh peace and comfort and fresh hope to go out into our world with a message of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.